this episode of In the House, we sit down with Christy Taylor. Christy is a principal architect at Chioko Design and president of the Austin chapter of the American Institute of Architects. Christy tells us about her path into architecture, and she gives us an inside look into the AIA and what they do for the Austin community. We hope you like this episode. If you do, share with a friend and give us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. Welcome to this episode of In the House. Today we are chatting with Christy Taylor. Christy is the principal architect at Chioko Design and is also the president of the Austin chapter of the American Institute of Architecture. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, we were just chatting, um, and I kind of want to dive back into it, but you were just telling us about your trip to Greece, yeah. correct? Yeah. So yeah. I, I kind of want to hear, hear the start. <laughs> I want to hear all about that. that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a dream trip, right? And mm-hmm. when I tell people about it, they're like, oh, that must be nice. And I'm like, I know. I'm, I kind of hate myself because of like, hearing about it. I get jealous that I'm not back there. Um, no, it was it was a great time. It was my husband and I and, and a couple that we're friends with and a couple of other people. Um, for our 40th birthdays, we've been really kind of going out of out with these big trips. Like we did Costa Rica and sailed the Florida Keys, and now another 40th birthday came up in this friend group, and it was time to sail around Greece. So we were in a like two hull catamaran for seven days and just popping around to different islands and saw some really cool temples and. The kinds of things that just make you feel really wonderful and insignificant because you're looking at something that's like you think things are old here (laughs) and then you see things that are truly old and have survived and it's really fascinating plus i've never been anywhere you learn about these things so much right the parthenon and the acropolis and the agora and all of these things you learn about them when you're in architecture school and seeing them really alive was it was really fun yeah no definitely that's that's definitely a, a place that's on my bucket list to go mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm very jealous but yeah we were just talking about like uh construction methods over there did did, did you get into that at all while you were over there and kind of discover you know? oh my god we nerded out yeah. just like we're we've got to be the whole group is kind of architecture and design all of us and so we're not going to out nerd each other you know what i mean like it was a a bunch of like-minded people that were like trying to oh how did they do this but yeah you get to see really simple machines right and like how they're incorporated um they would like take these wedge shapes out of the stone and then put a wedge in and then block it with a solid piece. And so then they could lift the stone from the center, right? Yes, that's the right reaction. It's just like, oh, it's so simple. And I think if you'd have given me a hundred years, I may not have come up with it. It's evolution. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not going our way, I don't think. Um, Because that was thousands of years ago. But uh, yeah, that, that kind of stuff, we are just all in it together, nerding out. Do you feel like it's coming though? Do you feel like uh, we're we're due for another evolution? We're due for another uh, uh, discovery of uh, our new capabilities? Like we're we're at the tipping point of uh, of this new some big breakthrough. Yes, I hope so. Yeah. That might be nice. I would love to get left in the dust like immediately, you know, and be sort of obsolete and see things get greatly improved. I think we're there. I really yeah? think we are there. What does it look like then, Mark? 
equality. Yeah. Uh, like it's we're making strides. Yeah. We're swinging back, but we're swinging forward in bigger ways. This this sandbag that we've been carrying forever is going to be released, and we're going to instead of being we're running going five miles an hour with this stupid sandbag, and we're going to release it, and it's going to be hundred miles an hour into I don't know beauty and. Yeah. Uh, compassion and, and, and love. I, I think that it's, I think the, the future is, I think, I think we're there. I think yeah. within the next I don't know, 10 years, we're going to, we're going to move into, into that and more, more than architecture, more than, yeah. uh, I don't know, politics, more than, I think it's, uh, I think we're, I think we're there. We're headed for a renaissance. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. It really would. I feel like, um, you know, we've lived in India, spent time in Brazil, traveling the world, um, and living in the U.S. We are facing, like, crumbling infrastructure. Yeah. We're burdened by the decisions that have been made hundreds of years ago, and it feels a little like that sandbag that you talk about. Um, so I like I like the way you think about it. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm always optimistic. Uh, India, so... Uh, Christian talked about how, oh God, I gotta go weld something. It was hard to be able to find a, a, a helmet to be able to go do this, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. they're struggling in, in educating people on how to be able to do this. What what was uh, what was your uh, thoughts about India and your your, your yeah. experience? Yeah, we lived there. Um, gosh, it's been over ten years ago now, um, and we worked at a university together, and um, we were professors. And Christian focused. My husband focused on. Um, construction methods like you mentioned like you know furniture fabrication welding woodworking um and I focused on like I taught seminars and theory classes I was just coming off like a master's where I'd kind of really delved into self-built housing and the way that people choose to house themselves um all over the world and um so some people call it informal housing right the housing that happens when architects and planners and, and municipal and, and federal agencies are not available to them. Um, and so that was what I studied. So we really, I taught seminars on like the history of informal housing, um, but mine was a little more, you know, like grad level, sort of esoteric, a lot of reading, um, whereas he's like, you know, making stuff with all his students. <laughs> the reality of which, yeah. And I'm like, your readings tonight are, <laughs> but it was, a, it was such a great experience and, um, you know, the students were on board to learn about like the history of housing across the world and they taught me a lot for sure. Um, and then the culmination of the time we spent in India was when we took um, 30 or 40 of our third year undergrad students down to Mumbai and um, sort of brought them through these informal housing settlements, these so-called slum developments where millions of people <laughs> live in this self-built housing that and they're always at risk of you know dem demolition and at risk of fires and just all the things that come with potentially unsafe housing mm -hmm. um and we were really welcomed into these communities we were there with all our students who were helping us translate when that was necessary um and just performed demographic uh surveys you know formal surveys like how do you know you walk down these these narrow hallways between buildings and then the buildings come together above you so you're almost in these like caves mm -hmm. of plywood and and you know plastic wrap and whatever people could grab to sort of build things um and 
just looked at it from all these different layers to right what's the population what's the access to plumbing and restrooms um like it, it was wild and it was a really informative couple of weeks and that's kind of the the tone we left behind we culminated all of that together and the students were able to show it um at their university and put it on display and i think they were really proud of that a lot of these kids have never you know they're 20 they'd never seen communities like this they'd heard about them but um, do, do you still keep in touch with any, any of the students? Some of them, mostly the faculty. Yeah. But of course, they're all on Facebook. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen any um, uh, any big strides to, to kind of get away from that informal housing and, and more towards like planned development? You know, it's the there's another way of looking at it, right? Which is, and what I've seen done really well in, in some communities um, is. It's done particularly well in the favelas in Brazil. The government will sort of legitimize these developments, and instead of tearing them down and saying, no, you'll do public housing the way we tell you to do public housing, they'll say, look, these things are built, and people are living in them, and there are communities here that are thriving on some level. Um, so how can we go back and put in infrastructure, mm -hmm. right? And if you think about it, it allows them to even leapfrog over a certain kind you don't have to put in telephone lines anymore. Everyone's got a cell phone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, electrical lines are overhead. Um, really the big one is plumbing, right? Yeah. Getting plumbing in. So in the favelas, what you'll see is they will do really kind of surgical demolition so that they can go back and put in safer stairways because these things are built on hills. Mm -hmm. So they'll, they'll use that to provide like adequate safe passage through the favelas and also that becomes a plumbing main, right? And so everybody can kind of tie in and then it all goes where it's supposed to, which is downhill. Mm. So in Brazil, it was done really well. And I was seeing a little bit of that in, in some of the places we saw in India, but I, you know, that was my <laughs> academic pursuits. Yeah. And then we moved back here and to be honest, like got pregnant and got jobs and started businesses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it is. I'll leave that yeah, up to life, younger, life younger, more creative people than me. Well, so now we're back <laughs> here in Austin. Um, just to pivot a little, but you know, tell us. We've kind of got your your history, you know, a little bit, but maybe go into more of how did you what what got you into the field of architecture and and. What is it that you do now here, here in Austin for Chioko? Yeah, um, I love talking about my path to architecture because it was very non-linear. And I feel like maybe maybe you guys have similar sort of meandering paths. I, I work with people, no, yours is very, <laughs> yeah. yeah was, There's was, a lot of one line, Yeah. right? Is that similar, like sounds familiar? You know, you knew what you were gonna do. Uh, I, I actually, I, I wanted to go into architecture. I felt like I had this, this draw towards design um, and but I didn't want to be in an office all day yeah and that was kind of my view of architecture at the time I was like well you're just gonna be in an office whether that's true or not but that was my view of it and so I got reading about the different architecture program or the you know the, the different programs at A&M and I kind of stumbled upon construction science which is what I eventually got my my degree in and so so that was more my path, but yeah. sorry, I don't, I don't want to interrupt you. And, no, but, no, no, it's really interesting <clears throat> here. And I think a lot of like people who have art architecture in their sites, they mm -hmm. see one part of it that doesn't click for them. I hear all the time, like, I didn't want to be in an office all the day, all day, or 
I wasn't good at math. That's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and probably the most common. Baby, the computer does it for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, let me tell you how much math I've done this year. <laughs> most of it was with my daughter on her homework. <laughs> yeah, we're just now getting to yeah. the beginning of that. Yeah, and I think it, it but it speaks to um, a very understandable but common misconception about this profession and probably mm-hmm. any profession, right? Like, I did not know how wide architecture was as a field and I wish maybe some of those different paths had been laid before me at a certain point and I hope that we're representing that a little bit more to sort of younger people it's also a pipeline issue right I mean this profession is notoriously underrepresented actually there's a ton of females now um, especially compared to like a couple of decades ago but we still struggle with representation in minorities um, and in like immigrant populations. So if we were able, I think, to provide these different avenues, like, yes, you can go through architecture, you can funnel into an architecture program and get to the end, but then on the other end, it funnels back out and there's all these different avenues. I think people would see something for themselves a little bit easier than maybe just thinking like, oh, I'm an architect and I'm gonna wear a hard hat every once in a while and I'm gonna point up while I'm holding a, a roll of plants, is that everyone's seen that photo? Yeah, right. <laughs> you like Google image the, the stereotypical. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I, I think we're always interested, especially like you mentioned AIA Austin. Um, there's so many wonderful volunteers doing fantastic work, whether it's through committees or board work, um, trying to provide these access points for different kinds of people because it can only make the profession richer so selfishly we should all want it but then outwardly like oh my god why aren't more you know minority architects being represented and people are seeing it now and and they see that architecture can mean a hundred a million different things it doesn't have to look the same and i i love that about a profession any profession but definitely architecture it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, I met my husband in archi- architecture school. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look a lot like an architect, you know. He's having way more fun yeah. <laughs> building things all day, and yet he knows how to think like an architect. It's a tool in his toolkit. So like you, you bounce around, right? I didn't find architecture. I was just I like to make. I like, and so I started music. I was like, I'm gonna do music, and then. And then I failed miserably in music, and it was like, shit, I got to go back to school. And then I, I, I went back to school, and I, I picked architecture, and I, I, I'm lucky. I, I fell in love with it. And then, um, But now I do architecture, and I'm like, well, I want to paint. Now it's like I want to play music. No, I want to, uh, and so like you talk about a linear process is like what everybody wants, and that's ideal. But then there's, there's life, and there's, there's people, and there's experience, and, and you don't do... You don't do it that way, and so you, you kind of you find your way into that, and so yeah, and I find that uh, that's also the build process is not a linear process, mm-hmm. and everybody wants to sign up and, and check the boxes from SD to DD to CD, and the, it doesn't like happen as 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 what it is, and so I'm, in some ways like my professional uh, aspirations or you know what I do for work is. Uh, uh, it is reflected in the way that the process of what building goes and so there, there's that and then there's also a, I think that we have to push for kids to have exposure to STEM in design everything like kids need to have more school needs to be more about exposing kids to things that they can like mm-hmm. and they can fall in love with and then that can be their career not let's chase you know what 
their friends think is popular. And I I think that, like, especially with, you know, um, uh, I don't don't delineate it, but like nine to 12 year old, like, like kids, like foster that, like, that, that idea that you can be anything and here's everything that you can have. And I think that, that laying it out for kids to be able to have that and, and know what it what it means is, is important and uh, I, I, I agree yeah over the past couple of decades it's it's been a, a an evolution in, in, in the way that things have been but I think we could still do better oh man yeah absolutely right um, and I feel like even you as a practitioner now you see things through the lens of who you are as a painter and who you are as a musician like it's it's part of your making yeah. yeah it's part of the the lens through which you see the world and the stuff that makes you up as a profession. Like, that's what makes it interesting is that you have this whole framework within you where no one's going to see things as uniquely as you do because you have done art on this very intense level and made music. So, hell yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, it takes all those things. Um, and it, you know, the more backgrounds we can get people into the profession from the more we can sort of like widen the net of how to feed the right kinds of really interesting fascinating creative not typical people into this world that we're trying to build like all the better and i agree and i think the the construction side of things is 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 very much that way um and it's, it's oh, thank you. It's it's definitely benefited from um, having a wide range of viewpoints, like you said, getting people from a lot of different backgrounds. And uh, Adrian can probably speak to this as well. But pulling pulling people from like different different industries and like different professions, you know, they, they tend to kind of see things in a different way, and it's it's refreshing sometimes too. You know, when you get you work with people who some are carpenters, some are masons, and then other guys are, you know, they, they didn't start off in the construction industry, but now here they are, you know. So, you know, so getting all these different viewpoints just kind of helps get you out of your comfort zone, and, and maybe sometimes you get, you get stuck, you know, every now and then you, you come into a problem, and you get stuck because you're used to seeing it, you know, in one way, mm-hmm. and so having, having diversity of thought and having people come in that just view things in a different way kind of helps everything to progress smoothly and yeah. you, you know you problem solve better and mm-hmm. um and it's it helps you to learn and grow and so i think that's that's one of the great things about the construction side of things oh for sure it'll um, be the it'll be the renaissance that you're talking about mark that'll kick off it'll be people that are from wildly different backgrounds and and ethoses that are kicking off something wild that we never could have just grow possibly. together yeah yeah grow to yeah and why not that way? That's the perfect way. Is that uh, it's the the what what good is one wind chime all alone? It's the sounds our collisions make. It's it's all of us together making this new thing. Yeah, I, I think that's where it's found. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it it'll take work and discomfort, right, mm-hmm. to be able to open up avenues to people that you know don't look like me and don't come from what I come from. And where's the discomfort in that? There's always discomfort because you have to um, accept your privilege and you have to recognize it. Okay. And sure. then you have to look um, you have to look beyond um, 
what's been put in front of you as an obstacle and understand that like those obstacles are far greater for other people. Um, so that's the kind of discomfort I'm talking about is like being like, oh, I don't, I, so much was given to me. <laughs> so much was laid in front of me. Yeah. And I see the obstacles like as a female in the profession, for example, I, I can immediately recognize the obstacles that are put in front of me but they pale in comparison to other people's obstacles, right? Um, so, but the, it's the, that's good. It's good that we're all like in this kind of place where we're kind of questioning how much we've really opened the doors for other people and, and where we've, you know, maybe accidentally been like, close the gate behind me. Licensure is something with architects that we talk about all the time. Well, they stopped the, the rolling clock. That, that was a big thing for people that have challenges in their life and they, they missed it, the, the the clock, and so it chops off the last two tests that they took, and then they're just in this vicious cycle trying to be a mother of three or a father of three and, and try to be able to make life happen or the death of a spouse. Or, yeah, I, I think that, yeah. 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 If, it requires uh, attentiveness and attention to that people are people and life happens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm yeah. really happy for the chapter for doing that. It was a great move by NCARB, like the National Licensure Board. It's been, I think I read today, it's been adopted by the Texas boards, so, or local, so now the the stop clock. You have five years from your first exam pass to your last exam pass in architecture, because there's a lot of exams. There used to be like nine or 13. I think I took seven, now there's five. but that's all, it's hard for some people to, and so if you don't make that shot clock, you lose the, the passes that you have. They start falling off the back end, and so now that's been opened back up, is what Mark's talking about. I see. And, and it's, been, it's handy. I think we're gonna see a lot of like new professionals in the next year or two who thought like, I can't keep chasing this. You know, life gets in the way, or, I mean in Texas some people have like, wildly successful firms and never got licensed because they were too busy like feeding this beautiful design firm and can't like make the time to become architects so hopefully we'll see more people getting brought in not that licensure is the only path but for me i've found that like licensure has been immensely validating you know especially for someone that has a very non-linear path to this profession the day i got licensed I was like, this is it. I don't, I don't have to call myself an architectural intern anymore. You know, <laughs> I don't have to call myself someone that works in architecture. I'm a freaking architect. <laughs> like, no one's going to take that from me. I will take it with me everywhere I go. But um, it's no small thing. I took my, all of my exams in the first year that my child was born, which like thinking wow. back on that. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. I mean, I had an amazing partner. You guys have met him. He's cool, and it was super helpful to have that. But like, I, I was like, I gotta start, and then I can't stop. But it, it, everybody has that something, you know. It's like everybody has that thing that comes up accidentally, like unexpectedly, and you know, we're all just out here living our lives. So, but to get back to your original question, no, that's great. Keep, keep going. I, I can talk for forever. Yeah. But um, I have a nonlinear path in that it was, I have a, phil- a philosophy degree. <laughs> that's my undergrad degree. Okay. Yeah, that's what my dad said too. Like, <laughs> All right, well, I told you to go to college and you showed me. <laughs> and what do you do with a philosophy degree? You do something else. Um, and But it taught me how to like think critically and write 
and mm. um, and really engage. And then the whole time I was doing that, I was also like bartending and waiting tables, which taught me another aspect of my who I am as a person, right? Mm. Um, liking to engage and dealing with people and relationships and getting like slammed on deadlines and teamwork and mm-hmm. all of those things that service industry can teach you um, in a way that I don't think any other profession can. Everybody should work in the service industry I, at some point in time totally. in their career to get that perspective. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, bartending, I, I used to joke that I think I've bartended for longer than I've been an architect. I think they're starting to even out now, like a little bit. But I mean, I started bar- in Louisiana. You could start bartending at eighteen. I couldn't buy it. Right. Yeah. But I, I had a. I was bartending. You can serve it. But um, so that that kept me going through undergrad, and then I went back to grad school for an MARC program, which was a at the time it was a three and a half year program, um, a master's in architecture and. I know a lot of people that, that do this where they come from a non-architectural background and then they switch, which I think is one of those things. It's like you bring whatever you did before, you get to bring that to your MRC. Um, and it, it made for a really interesting group of people in my studio. Like one of them had a construction science background and one of them was a, had a, just a fine arts background. He was an amazing artist. You know, like it was a real mixed bunch. And, um, and I appreciated that. Like we all had our strengths. Um, and then I graduated, I met my husband there, you know, um, we were not like, we dated for a while. We, we, I graduated a year before he did. Um, it's funny. We talk about this. I graduated in the summer of 2008 and he graduated in the summer of 2009. Very different vibes (laughs) at those two graduations, right? Do you guys remember what happened? At my graduation, everyone was like, woo, go out and get your architecture job. You get an architecture job. You get everybody gets an architecture job. And at his graduation, they were actually handing out books called like A Road Diverged or something. I can't remember. He probably still has this book. But the idea, the whole theme of the graduation was like, you could do anything. (laughs) Because there were no jobs in our profession. Like, nothing was out there um and so i i had gotten laid off like right before i think by the time 2008 was over i had been laid off fully with along with everyone i knew um just hanging out in baton rouge trying to figure out what the next step was going to be and so i applied i was bartending which was great because i was making more money than i was as an architectural intern i was like i'll just go back to bartending for a little while (laughs) But the whole reason I went into architecture in the first place, it wasn't well thought out. Like even in my early 20s, I didn't have a plan. My stepdad owns a, um, a home design business in Louisiana and he does semi-custom homes for, and a lot of them, like he'll sell home plans. At the time it was like $450 for a set of plans. And I, I grew up running off blueprints on our old blueprint machine in the attic. Um, so the smell of ammonia gets me like triggered because that was, you know, you had your bottle of ammonia and I ran off blueprints. That was how I, I charged him $5 a set. And I, he thought that was outrageous, but I was like, I'm in the hundred degree attic smelling ammonia. It's $5 a set. But these were small starters homes. And so they were at a, you know, we had a plot plan. We picked out a home, we put it on there and. You kind of ran with it. It's you know similar to what you were talking about, Adrian. It's like mm-hmm. a, just a different way of 
not everybody can hire an architect. And so I really admired what he does and did. Um, and I was going to go to architecture school for one year, learn CAD, drop out, and go take over and help him with his business. And during the course of grad school, I was like, oh, this is art, right? Like, this is so much more than what I thought it was going to be. And I can't, like, you know, I explained it to my stepdad and my family. Like, this is, I, I think I have something here. Like, I think I've, I've stumbled into something that's really interesting <clears throat> to me. Um, so, yeah, that, that business is doing just fine without me. <laughs> it never needed me. Um, but when I went back to grad school during the recession, um, I was into the architectural history side. So I went back for architectural history. We moved to Austin so I could go to UT. Um, I'd never really lived anywhere but Baton Rouge, too. So, like, it's so silly, but it was a huge move in my mind. I was like, how will we ever live in another capital city that's a college town that's immediately adjacent to where I grew up? <laughs> Something so intimidating about it. Um, but, yeah, I had, I had Christian with me, and we moved together, and um, UT was such a great program. I spent two years... Um, in the architectural history program, really dug in. That's where I wrote about informal settlements and, and worked with some great professors and academics. And I thought, well, I'll be an academic. This is it for me. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the person that talks and writes about architecture all the time. And that would have been real cool. But I think once Drop House started, we moved to India, we came back, still the market was soft, right? Like, not a lot of jobs. Um, and once Christian had started Drop House with his now partner, Matt, um, and I mean, I helped out, they like to say I helped out a little bit, but really it was, it was them, right? Like they were doing, you know, well, the way he told us like, is that he, you, you told him to believe in himself and he did. And then yeah. he, he, he went and he ran and it was because you believed in him, you he were, believed in himself. And now we you were the benefactors rock. of his this wonderful company. Like He's so sweet. Probably how that went is I was like, you need to stop bartending and focus on what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> because it was a little like, shit or get off the pot, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you hedge your bets because like, it was no joke, we had a baby, you know? Like I was just getting back into the profession. Um, I, I just wanted him to know that it was okay to like go all in and fail, <laughs> that would be fine. <laughs> but you had to fail knowing that you had like burned the, burned the ship at the harbor, right? Like this was, you had given it your all, everything. Um, and yeah, so, but, but the other thing that Drop House did was it anchored us here in Austin. And when you're in academics, you can't really be anchored, really, yeah. not in the beginning, right? It's like, you're gonna go wherever the hell the, the professorship is, wherever there's a job, and so. Um, I got back into the profession. I started interviewing again and hopped around to a couple of firms for a couple of years until I found um, some good ones that I got a ton out of. Um, worked through licensure, you know, that emboldened me to go after the kinds of, like, I think helped me hone down who I was as an architect. Um, and, and you asked about Leadership Collective, and I know I think I want to talk to you guys about AIA Austin all the time mm -hmm. because it's such a cool organization <clears throat> and I think just really enables AIA Austin to do so much of the good work that it does in, in this town. Um, but I, I was accepted into the first Leadership Collective class at a certain point. This must have been six years ago or something. And Leadership Collective is an AIA Austin program 
that allows you to, I mean, it's a year long and it's just like a, hey, you're at a midpoint in your career. No one's checking in and you probably don't have a mentor. You probably don't have a real path for what this is going to look like. This is the program for you. And it was like just such an eye-opening experience. You know, you take personality tests, you take equity, diversity, and inclusion training, um, and you sort of learn who you want to be um, and where you want to go next. And that was my first AIA experience, and it was awesome. <laughs> it really was. I, I met some, so many cool people. Um, anyway, I'm jumping ahead of your questions. No, but. you're totally fine. Yeah, I, <laughs> before we get into AIA, oh. what it is and what AIA does, Tell us about, kind of give us your day-to-day. You're at Chioko. I don't know if you want, if you want to talk about or if you can talk about current projects that you have going on. Give us give us your day-to-day. What, what are you doing? Yeah, um, I have been at Chioko Design a little over five years, and um, Jamie Chioko is the founding principal of the firm. Since I've been there, we've grown from six to, I think we're at like 14 people right now, Um and we're a just boutique design firm. Um, we cut our teeth in, on hospitality projects, food and beverage, which is my all-time favorite kind of project, right? Uh, designing a restaurant is like a joy to me because right. I get it, right? I, I've seen all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's... it's well, a, you, you had so much experience in that side of the, you know, in that industry. It's like now you get to be on the, the opposite side where you're now you're designing the space and yeah that's cool yeah and I have just as I'm sure you do with your clients like just especially with restaurateurs a really deep admiration for what it takes to pull off a really popular food and beverage oh, yeah. concept mm-hmm. right yeah I mean these people are geniuses at what they do it is those are small margins and that is a tricky workforce um, and you're dealing with the general public all the time. God bless them. Yeah. So I love restaurant owners just in my core. I think they're fascinating people. And so when the fact that I can like deal with them all the time and, and help them navigate something that's really, they're about to spend the most money they've ever spent mm-hmm. on whatever this is, whether it's a ground up or a, or a finish out. And they don't know that this isn't what they do. Right, like there, there are a hundred potential bad decisions in front of them, and so to be able to like be trusted with shepherding them through that process, and it's not enough to shepherd them; it's our job to curate that process, right? And like make sure that they know what their next five steps are going to look like, and that they're confident in every decision that you're making on their behalf, and and that you're empowering them to make the right decisions as well, like. Restaurant projects all day. If I could do one kind of project for the rest of my life. Anyway, so we do a lot of restaurant projects. And those are probably the most like visible because everybody goes to restaurants and bars. Um, but we do, at Chioko Design, we do a lot of um, office finish out. We do custom residential as well. I can't believe we haven't worked on a project yet. Let's fix that. Um, and uh, you know, ground up construction as well, renovations. Um, we are getting more. We have a number of upcoming uh, boutique hotel projects. That's my little like insider. <laughs> I am so excited um, because I think it's just a culmination of all the things we do exceptionally well. Um, is like boutique, high level sort of 
hospitality concepts. And so my day-to-day looks a lot less like architecting than it used to. I used to be like, you know, the, the project manager and have oversight, full control on my projects along with, you know, Jamie or whomever I was working under. Um, and now it looks a lot like firm management. Mm-hmm. Right, like kind of growing and, and managing the firm, and that comes with like business development and um, client relationships. Which, going back to like you know a service industry background, is is just a sweet spot for me. I really enjoy that. I think my favorite thing about architecture has always been the people and the relationships that you get to make. Which is why I love a big messy project where there's like. <laughs> 300 consultants (laughs) and there's so many experts at the table um so yeah day-to-day is the firm is um pretty egoless we sit down and we come up with good ideas and those ideas are executed um there's not a a singular source for those good ideas we are super open who's done this who has this knowledge base who can i tap for the best decision for this project, right? We're always reaching out to each other. So it's a very collaborative firm. Hmm. I've worked in- Yes. I I agree. Um, I've worked in firms where it was very head down, Mm -hmm. right? And very, um, you know, these are my projects. And and everyone has their projects, but I'm lucky enough to be in in a space that has been really protected from that, I think. Um, We we are a firm of like, pretty egoless people who are just looking out for the best path forward. Yeah. And we have a no mean people policy. <laughs> so that's worked out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, I, th- I think we have a similar strategy on the build side of things where you, you, you work with a team and like I was alluding to earlier, everybody has, you know, there's this wide array of, of backgrounds. And so you can draw from, from people's knowledge and, um, you know, areas that you're weak in, somebody else is probably really strong in and, and where they lack, maybe you excel in. And so it just, as a whole, it just helps, you know, really push the project forward and um, hit all of those critical points, you know, budget, schedule, details, quality, everything, you know, and, and so... Yeah, that, that's awesome to, to hear you talk about that. I mean, that's that's on the design side, but um, on the on the build side of things too, it, it definitely helps with the um, the overall quality of the build, you know, and and the the happiness of the client at the end as well. Um, I think it, it definitely kind of all ties together. Yeah, I mean, gone are the days of like one decision maker who passes it down. The to, IDM. Yeah. <laughs> who passes it down to middle management and then it gets dispersed like it's just it's archaic and it's patriarchal and nobody's interested in that anymore and I think we bring in enormous talent because there is an understand there's like sort of a an understanding that that's not hopefully we don't do that right the goal is to never do that um, there's always some good ideas coming from from anywhere um, and so I can teach somebody something but I can't get in the way of the good idea. <laughs> that would be silly. Yeah. Um, it, and it puts us as leaders more in the model of like guidance and less in the like handing down of, you know, the passing down of information, yeah. which is fun. So let's dive in now to AIA. Mm-hmm. So maybe for for people who are listening who, who don't understand or know what AIA means or what it even stands for, 
Could you kind of give us the breakdown? What what is the AIA? What does it do? And how is it fully? Fully in detail. Every, yes. Every Don't miss day. anything. A- <laughs> AIA National is going to love having me as the spokesperson. <laughs> Let me see what I can do. Um, it's the American Institute of Architects. It's our not the only, but the largest sort of professional organization. You do not have to join it to be a licensed architect. That happens separately, um, but it is the largest kind of organization. Um, we have a local chapter here in Austin, AIA Austin, and we all, there are, like I said, other organizations. NOMA, the National Organization for Minority Architects, is another professional organization that exists kind of alongside and hand in hand. Sometimes tense relationships, but I think ultimately very helpful relationships with AIA Austin. So there are other organizations. AIA Austin's the big one. I came from Louisiana, the Baton Rouge chapter of AIA, and this was a long time ago, but it didn't, I went to one or two meetings and I was like, oh, this, this doesn't, this isn't my scene. (laughs) I don't really think I have a place here. Um, And I, when we moved to Austin, I just assumed it was going to be the same. I'm not mm-hmm. interested in the AIA. Thank you. I'm not much of a joiner. <laughs> so thank you, but no thank you. Um, and what the AIA Austin has done that is, I think, very unique to the local chapter is, from my perspective, done a great job of creating and fostering an environment where architects can celebrate each other and themselves um, can engage with the community and become even like citizen architects who are involved in advocacy levels at a municipal, state, or national level, um, can impact change um, with community organizations. And, um, and I think AI Austin strives constantly to be a more of a representation of female and minorities than the profession as a whole, or even the community as a whole, right? You see, like our numbers need to be in excess of what's available to us, right? Because this is where the good ideas will come from. This is this is who needs to be pushed out in front. Um, and so that's maybe not the official AIA Austin explanation, but that's why I love AIA Austin. And I think a lot of people have found a really comfortable home there. Um, I bump up across, you know, very aged and learned architects who I, I love and admire and have heard of and read about mm-hmm. um, over the years. And, you know, yeah, like kids, right? Like 20, people in their 20s who are just trying to get a foothold. Um, and it's just a, it's a safe, wonderful place. And there's like 20-something committees in AIA Austin. I didn't know that. There's 20-something committees. It's wow. wild. <laughs> The one list them all. What yes, top <laughs> quiz. No, um, you said. You said. You're the president. You should know by heart. Come on, spit it out. No, I couldn't possibly. That's um, cool. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's like, all right, you're an architect, but there's there's a way for you to engage too. And for me, it's always been like, yeah, I'm an architect, but I'm also a woman. So I wanted to be involved in Women in Architecture Committee, which is a dynamo committee, right? They, they are doing amazing work. Um, and that was kind of my, you know, starter kit into AI Austin. Mm. And I think a lot of women, um, the same, or you can be a Latino in architecture and that can be your in, or K through 12 is your jam and you want to teach kids about architecture and that's your in. Um, see, I'm starting to list them. I got a couple, (laughs) three, a couple more, (laughs) 17 left. And then I'll start. (laughs) Some of the newer committees are, um, there is, uh, 
an LGBTQIA plus alliance committee. Yeah. So a lot of people are finding um, access to their identity as an architect who also, you know, is gay, like through a committee like that, that allows them to have a presence. Um, and another new committee that we have is the housing advocacy committee. This one is dynamic. Um, it's because we're in a housing crisis mm -hmm. and AI Austin should be at the table. Yep. You know, when we meet monthly with the mayor's office, we need to come with pointed questions and, and, and the hard topics of conversation and, and be able to be a resource to them when they want to test out new ideas for zoning and, and planning regulations. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my sample kit. Those are, those are just some highlights. It's a good one. <laughs> but it's, it's a great community, really. Um, I, I, I started out with Leadership Collective. The next year I was chairing the Women in Architecture Committee. The next year I was on the board of AIA, um, and the next year I was treasurer, and now here we are, like, I'm president and could not be more proud of the board and the, the relationships. Like, it's it's not just architects, it's a whole AEC community, um, and I'm exceptionally proud to represent them this year. It's also quite exhausting <laughs> so i'm like we've got five months left four months all right i can do this <laughs> <laughs> did, did you did you already talk about the the leadership collective what, what is that can you kind of go into more detail about what what that is the leadership yeah, collective it's um the leadership collective i want to say started in maybe 2017 or 2018 um and it's uh it's one of the committees of aia austin and they spend a year they select I think 20 people every year to go through this like really curated course um, you meet monthly and it, I think there's leadership programs similar to that like through maybe RECA or Leadership Austin this one's specific to AIA Austin and the community so it wasn't just architects it was um, engineers it was construction like all, all kinds of different folks in the industry but it's a checkpoint um, at someone that's sort of early to mid in their career and needs to kind of realign themselves. Um, it provides mentorship, not just mentorship, one of my favorite differentiations that I heard when I was in Leadership Collective is it's not enough to be mentored, you have to be sponsored. Someone has to sign up for being your advocate, right? That's what everybody deserves and you owe it to somebody else to do that for them, right? Like step out, you know, sing their praises. like. It's not enough to bestow. This is that top-down thing. It's like, well, I have all this knowledge, and now you have all this knowledge, and go. Mm. <laughs> like, it's real training, mm. but then it's also just um, sponsorship, right? You can find the people in your life that really stick out there for you, right? Like, mm -hmm. put you out when names are needed, right? That was Leadership Collective. It was fantastic. Yeah, awesome. yeah, it's a great program. It's still going on. You should apply. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe. Uh-huh. I keep uh, telling Lonnie to go back to architecture school. I keep telling him, oh, go do it, dude. I, I, Take a little pause, hit, yeah. the, hit the pause mo motion, and... Uh, I don't know about that, buddy. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's... Oh, I don't even want to think about going back to school. <laughs> school was not my forte, I'll say that. Uh, it took a lot of failures to uh, kind of propel me and, and motivate me you know enough to, to not want to go through that again mm -hmm. so <laughs> i think i think i'm good yeah with, i think it would be a labor of love i think yeah. you know, oh. 
You don't need school to be an architect. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, actually. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe be licensed. I don't know. Yeah. But um, one of the cool things that AIA does that they do every year is the um, the home tour. Oh. Um, you so guys I, are like the sterling gold platinum yeah. sponsor of the homes tour. Mm-hmm. Thank you. No, yeah, no, it's it's awesome. We, uh, mm-hmm. it's a fun event. So the AIA home tour they host it every year. What in October? End of October? Something like that. Um, but so there's houses that are chosen uh, every year, and then you, you know you buy tickets, and then you can go and basically tour these these houses. And all the architects are part of the AIA, right? Like that's one of the requirements is that you know these architects have to be. Uh, part of the AIA, but um, yeah, I think we've gone the past several years. We usually get a group together and go, but yeah, it's always a blast. Um, so, and it's it's interesting too. It's 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 fun to see all the uh, the local builders who kind of get behind it and and push it as well. Yeah. So. Well, it's also an opportunity to not just celebrate the architect, right? I think the homes tour does really well. Um, is provides like a voice and representation for all of the people that were involved i agree builders get no love i know (laughs) we'll work on that yeah i mean it's it's so interesting because now on the board to be involved in these kinds of conversations where it's like how are we need to do more it's not enough to have like allied membership it's Mm. but it's like how do you make a professional organization that really celebrates everyone else that's not specifically in your profession but it's it's such an easy thing to do it's just like let's widen it like so but the home store i mean i'd be interested to hear y'all's opinion i think for um drop house design for example like they were able to you know represent themselves in one of the houses where they built these steel and glass operables and um there's not really another avenue for Sub subcontractors like that, or or maybe GCs that I'm aware of, um, that's quite as fun as the homes tour because like you are walking through these homes that mm-hmm. are unbelievable, and seeing just the kind of like craft and artistry that uh, it can't be like this in other cities. It just can't. There's so I don't think it is right. I really don't think it is. There's so much freaking talent here. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's unreal. Yeah, and um. Yeah, the home. One of the I remember the first year I went to the homes tour. I was just like, "Do they do this like every five years? Like, <laughs> how much did it take yeah. to collect this? Like uh, that year like, must have been like ten homes or something." From the top down, like there's really awesome design in Austin mm-hmm. compared to 500 miles away from here. Like I think it is the epicenter. Plus, you've got some of the best builders, and plus you've got like some of the best clients like yeah. it, it is so packed and it's like it's a it's a, it it's a, I'll call it a trifecta i'll call it a trifecta it's like there's so many things that that make it where it, it can be that special year over year i was so bummed COVID hits and it's all online it's like mm. all right yeah whatever I'll, I'll just watch it online it was like <laughs> <sighs> it was. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't the same thing. It's, it's not, not the same. same. And uh, I'm glad we're past those times. But yeah. yeah, to to be able to have the opportunity to not only like walk through the best design, but like not like in in, in your area. Like this is this is something that is here. It's not, you know, you're looking at an Instagram post and that's like, uh, 
yeah, that's in New York or mm-hmm. San Fran. It's like it's it's here. It's yeah. it's, it's so important. And uh, yeah, and the, the patrons, the, the people that that that, get, that allow their houses to be on those tours mm-hmm. is that's another uh, level of like uh, of giving to be able to absolutely let a lot of people <laughs> walk through their homes. Yeah, you're right to call them patrons. They are giving so much of themselves to let people be inspired by the kinds of stuff that they get to experience every day. Mm. Yeah. But it's awesome that they recognize that too, that, you know, they're opening up their home because they, they realize that, you know, it, it, it does have this quality of design and, and construction and, you know, to kind of go back to what you're saying, yeah, Austin is definitely a hub for great design, awesome builders, and then just immensely talented craftsmen. Um, I mean, just... just you got to give it to these guys who, you know, they're the boots on the ground and, you know, they, they've had a lifetime of experience, you, you know, a very interesting background just themselves and whatever's led them up, you know, through life. And, and now they're there in that moment, they're working on that project, but, you know, that they've just had this lifetime of experience and, and knowledge and, and practice really. And, and they've just mastered this craft and, and, um, it's, it's, humbling and it's inspiring to be able to work with with some of these guys who um really make it all come together you've talked about uh i don't know that it's like a top down that's not the way to go like there's so many people and uh architecture in 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 aia they they talk about the ipd the integrated project delivery where it's not the architect it's not the engineer it's not the client it's not the consultant it's 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 all of us and it's it's also the people that are that that have, you know, I worked with masons where they're passing down stuff that their great 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 grandfather taught taught them how to be able to do this. And like, if we would have these people sitting in these conversations at, at the beginning of the day to be able to have like where it's it's literally a collective of, of us being able to make the project. I think that that's that's the way. It's yeah. it's 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 more. At the beginning, you have to be able to understand how the end is going to work, and you have to understand that it's a process to be able to get there, and that the people that that, that are along the way that are the gems of the space, and in mm-hmm. AIA, you go and you look at, you know, three houses, and you're like, man, the masonry work is great in here. Well, that was all the same guy. That guy did all of those in several different ways. Like, we have to be more inclusive, and I think that like having having that in 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 practice, like. Mm-hmm. I have this ideal thought of like having a rock house or having a steel house or having like it's all one thing and um, I, I think that it, it, it it's beautiful because it's pure because it's it's all uh, somebody's entire craft like on one this. craftsperson yeah exactly yeah. like I, I just have a rock house yeah and it's like where's the wood well there's no wood it's a rock it's house. a rock house <laughs> it, well then what does the plumber do though. <laughs> he talks to the rock guy and then we figure it out together it? but often <laughs> oftentimes right. it's 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 top down and it's yeah. like well here's my drawing and it's you're like right. it's not the bible people like mm-hmm. what i'm saying is like the, the what i'm showing is like it should be up for discussion and yeah, yeah. no you're right mark it's that's it's a it's a beautiful idea and one of the things i i will probably struggle with or hope to refine my whole profession is like what do i leave for the artisans in my drawings or in my concepting and what do I toil over right like and where's that line right it 
you mentioned craftspeople and designers, and it also takes a contractor who is willing to just buy into this and be as passionate as you are, because you guys are coming out on that tail end of six to 36 months <laughs> of passion. And then y'all are getting asked to just buy into this and, and, and pick it up and, and take it all the way through. And, and yeah, there are times when it's like, I just need somebody cool to make something that does this. Do you have somebody cool that can make something that does this? But also, I need for this opening to be just like this so that mm. when the light comes in at this time of day, it hits this. And you poor guys have to like navigate all of that. <laughs> the, the perspective that the architect adds to that design, though, is critically important. So when you say for us to buy into it, mm -hmm. it's not just reading the plan. It's seeing your vision because you just said a very important point, which is the light coming in this one window at this particular spot. That's not really in the plan somewhere, <laughs> but it is part of the vision that when we collectively work together and we get on board and we see it and we get excited about it and then we want to follow it through, yeah. but it is a collaboration and it's very difficult. Things do not default to mm -hmm. perfection, yeah. right? Everything lends to diffusion. Mm -hmm. So all of us are trying to go against nature's desire. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful art to do something that in the end winds up so perfect that it's invisible because you guys saw it through and bought, fought battles and God knows what it took to get that actually where we needed it to go. <laughs> I, I like what you just perfect. said. It's invisible. Mm -hmm. And there's so many things in architecture where when it's done correctly, mm -hmm. you almost don't notice it. Yeah. If it's done wrong, you notice <laughs> yes. it. Then it's very noticeable. Then it's very noticeable. Uh, and doing it so that it just looks calm and perfect there's so much thought yeah. that goes into that and i think a lot of people don't even see that thought. that's so hard when you're in it and you're a part of it you go holy cow there's so much thought that goes <laughs> yes. into the silly details yeah it's yeah. a beautiful lie um i think lighting is one of the things that i use to illustrate that exact point mm -hmm. to people who aren't in the industry who can click into it like when you've walked into a space and you've been immediately comfortable and you're like, I'm gonna, I will move into this restaurant, for example, I will live here now, it's because it's so well lit. Mm -hmm. That's it, it, it's because of a hundred things, but the lighting is impeccable, right? Otherwise you couldn't get there. So you don't notice it, right? This is like good lighting 101 is you don't perceive of it. But bad lighting, you start paying attention to the lights and you start <laughs> picking them apart and you can see the light source. And um, so we have some sort of uh, standard rules with lighting design in our office that we just kind of like throw out. Like, it, And it's all so dumb and silly, but it's like, well, when people go out, they need to look good. And when they go to the bathroom and look in the mirror, they need to love what they see. Mm -hmm. And we have a responsibility. It's so easy to do lighting badly. But mm -hmm. if you just pay attention to those little things, then you know they're going to walk out of there with a wonderful experience. I mean, the food has to be great, too. But... Food helps. <laughs> and the service. <laughs> That's important. Rare to get good service. <clears throat> well, Christy... It was a pleasure to have you on. I, I really, I enjoyed the talk. Um, it was very informative. Um, I, I appreciate your time. I, I, you know, it's end of the day, you know, we're all tired and I, and I appreciate you coming on, taking the time to sit down and talk to us. So I, I really appreciate you. 
You guys are a blast. Thank you for having me. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks, Christy. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow us on Instagram. We want to hear from you, so leave us some feedback to help us shape future episodes.